Welcome to Friendo Podcast, hosted by me, Amanda Muse. As a YouTuber, I've shared my life online for the last eight years, and now I'm excited to learn about you. Friendo celebrates people and their stories, from interesting jobs to unique passions and curious life skills that the world should hear about. Community is everything. Let's do this. Hey, friendos. True crime stories. Are you like me and have taken in so many podcasts, movies, and books that you're not sure how you sleep at night or walk anywhere alone? What is it about true crime genre that attracts so many people? Dean recently took a liking to watching murder documentaries, and I've been an avid true crime podcast consumer for years. Later in the episode, Dean and I dive into what drives us to watch and listen, and if we should consider taking a break. Because here's the thing, crime isn't entertainment, and today I'm joined by award-winning author and blogger Amy B. Chesler to discuss her true crime memoir, Working for Justice, One Family's Tale of Murder, Betrayal, and Healing. Amy offers insight on victimhood and how to recover and move forward after trauma. Then I'll share this week's favorites. You might not have thought about what my office smells like, but today I'll share my favorite scent to work to lately, as well as a must-have back-to-school item that I realize might not be the popular opinion, and a staple in my fall wardrobe that I can't live without. I'm Amanda Muse, and this is Friendo. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thank you so much for having me again. We've done this before. What's kind of amazing right now is I don't think, have we spoken on the podcast since you've launched the book? No. Mm -mm. No. Thank you very much, though, for sharing it a few times. I very much appreciate you leaving yourself open to our story and sharing it as well. Aside from it being just an incredible story. And, and, you know, I listened to crime stories and like, this was my natural inclination. I went into forensic science in school. It's you. It's like, yeah, I know. I wanted to be in forensic psychology. That was my dream. And then I saw a real dead body and I was like, oh shit, no, never mind. Thank you. (laughs) Oh my God. Same. I was like, wait a minute. This is real people. Let me just rethink this for a second. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Back in the day. So then I remember meeting you. And so we're going to go into, you know, what you have written. But I mean, I met you. I met Amy at this conference and she is just this effervescent human being and, you know, just so easy to chat with and get to know. And then we ended up recording a podcast about your story. So it was kind of like, I mean, I don't know how much before the book, really, but it was this introduction to your story and what had happened. So let's just jump into it. Tell me about Working for Justice, the book that you have written. So it is actually a story that was probably in in the making, in the writing for, I would say, people ask me, you know, how long did it take you to write? I generally say about seven to 14 years because because literally, you know, um, and not to laugh again. Okay, so I have to put this out there right now. We are going to talk about some serious things. Um, I can be a serious person. I am not a very serious serious person. So if I laugh at awkward times or like it just seems like I'm way too happy speaking about something 
so detrimental. I apologize, especially if that's triggering to anyone, but also um, it's part of my healing and and I've mastered this story in such a way and I feel like that's such a, a tenant of healing. So it's it's almost like, you know, if you had caught me 14 years ago, I was not laughing in any way, not about anything. So um, it feels really good to be able to do that, but I always have to kind of give a little warning because I feel it might not be received as well. Uh, but anyway, so 14 years ago... Um, my mom was murdered. Um, it was after a very long battle against or with domestic violence. And whenever I say that, everybody asks the next thing is, oh, your dad? Uh, no, my dad was absent from the get-go. And I'm probably giving a little too much backstory, but none of this is giving away the book, really. You know, and it was actually my brother who killed her. So he was pretty abusive for a long time. Uh, then in 2007, September 25th, which actually became America's National Murder Victims Remembrance Day, coincidentally, was also the same day my mom was killed. Um, he was immediately jailed. And from that moment on, that's basically when I start writing the book. So I actually started writing it about 14 years ago. I think probably it took me a few months, but writing has always been kind of a way of my healing. I always wanted to be a writer. In fourth grade, I was published for the first time. Um, and I just, you know, they say, write what you know. I just had no clue what I knew, um, especially coming from where I came from and kind of the situation I came from. So, um, yeah, it took a long time to convict my brother, even though he was captured that night and he was admittedly guilty. So the book, Working for Justice, long story short, or long summary, longer, um, Working for Justice takes the reader uh, from the evening of my mom's murder, um, you know, a couple hours before, um, basically, and it, it kind of creates the background of our family and what our family dynamic was like. Um through the years it takes to convict him. Um, I actually wrote the book. It came out, you know, I, 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 I think I really started writing it about seven years ago uh, because that was when I had done a live piece kind of summarizing the whole experience and people were like, okay, you need to turn this into a book. And I was like, okay, I will. <laughs> and I tried and I just needed help to kind of reformat it. Um, so I had got an agent and I got a publisher, and everybody helped me, and here we are. So April 6th, um, 2021, the book came out. And April 16th, 2021, I received notice that my brother was up for parole. Uh, and that was only nine years, not to give too much, you know, if you really want to do the math, not giving away that much, but nine years after being convicted. So um, my mission with the book has evolved over time, even after it came out, because I didn't really realize how much of my dialogue would become about the parole system in America, especially California. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's kind of this living, breathing project. You asked me right before we started recording, like, what else are you working on? Are you still working on? Yeah, I'm going to probably be promoting this book until, I mean forever really because I think it's an important um story and um I think we're a really prime example of all the a lot of things that need to change in America now like you said you don't want to give too much away in the book I know I know I want people to read this book but even knowing your story and hearing it different ways being told it's still very riveting but also 
something that is so beautiful about the way that you write and the way that you speak about your mom is I feel like I know her. Like I feel that there's little parts that you, you know, you think about what's your legacy going to be, you know, how will you be remembered? And you have shared that so beautifully about her. And I, you know, when I think about your story, I mean, you were recently a guest on a pretty amazing podcast, Something Was Wrong with Tiffany Reese, who we know, she's incredible. It is amazing what these communities can do for good, right? To get these messages out there. I mean, her podcast, it's so fascinating to watch someone go from, you know, just having her own personal experiences and then like, okay, I want to help and highlight these stories because you're not alone and how could we maybe be proactive? And I think that's one thing that's so interesting about your story is like, you think there was so many opportunities for intervention, for someone to help, for someone to see that something was wrong, right? Like based on, you know, her podcast name, there was so many opportunities. Like if we fast forwarded to now, you know, this many years later, do you think that the same thing would happen? Do you think that there's been enough change? No, I don't think there's been enough change. I think what's happening right now, I think the first step to change is always communication. We have to know that there's change has to happen. We have to communicate that. People, victims haven't shared their stories until now. I mean, I get all these messages because they're like, and I hate to liken victimhood to my being a minority, but it is similar. Minorities are victims quite a lot because of their skin color or religion, but also in victimhood, you know, we do have the beauty of hiding behind our, you know, like we can be a victim and hide that, but we in in victimhood it's hard for victims to educate people on what to do just like a minority shouldn't have that onus of responsibility of educating people on how you know how not to be racist how to but victims are in this position as well as where they're they've just been through this trauma it's not the onus of responsibility is not on them to educate however i was an educator i'm a storyteller so i always say everybody has a story everybody has a story And I dedicated my book, the first page, it says, to anyone who has felt alone in their experiences. Um, And also I dedicated it to mom, of course. But the point was because everybody has gone through something. Everybody goes through shit. We can't quantify or qualify trauma. We've all been traumatized at points of our lives by different things. It's that sharing these stories is what's going to cause the change right? We have to like be aware of these things before we can even change anything. And right now is the time where everybody is opening up. The people that are in these positions, you know, social movements are empowering us. Um, You know, political changes hopefully are empowering us. I just don't think enough has happened yet. You put that so beautifully and I never thought of it the way you said how it the onus is on the victim to educate. I mean, it seems so backwards, but I mean, probably not all the time. There's people who go into this field, right? But I think the onus of the response, the onus of responsibility to educate is not on the victim. To be honest, I do not think that is. But if we don't, how are people going to learn from us? You know, to learn from our our experiences, we have to be a we have to share them authentically or how are they going to know how it feels if if authentic sharing doesn't occur at some point? So not every victim can do that. If you're a storyteller, I feel like that's when you have the onus of responsibility. 
right? If you are a storyteller, you share your story and whoever that represents or helps, it's also sharing pieces of their story as well. What launched my book was a live piece in a show called Expressing Motherhood. It's a beautiful live like stage play or show where every woman stands up and they do their own piece, like five minutes, and it's all about their own experience with motherhood or their mom or anything. And it's all some men contribute. I stood on that stage and cried for all five minutes. I mean, I spoke like I, I people probably couldn't have understood my words, half of them, because I was blubbering. And now I speak like this. So I feel like I'm a testament. You have to attack this. Tra like Trauma is not meant to be buried. Trauma is not meant. I'm not meant to take on trauma. It's forced upon me. Uh, why is it my responsibility to hold on to it forever? Um, I don't think it's a victim's responsibility to forgive their abuser ever. Um, I don't think that's the forgiveness that needs to be given. I think the forgiveness needs to be given to the person who received the abuse. Like I needed to forgive myself for allowing it or for not having the tools to, you know, to stop it or to create healthy boundaries. But that's all I owe. That's beautifully said. I think, you know, it, there, there's like little things you want to take away because this is the power of storytelling is that someone may not have had the exact same thing happen, but maybe there's been glimmers of moments in their life where they have had trauma forced upon them, you know, and that's exactly what it is. It's not like we're like, hey, can I have some of that? No, <laughs> we didn't ask. It happened. How can we... How can we release that, you know, and because it will fester in other ways. Can I tell you this? There are certain things that have happened consistently throughout this process. Well, one of them is a lot of people are coming forward and saying, oh my gosh, I didn't even know sibling abuse was a thing. So there are a lot of topics I t cover in my book. One of them is that 50% of American children to have faced sibling abuse at some point in their life. My my uncle is my dad's brother. He, I There are a few people I was kind of scared of reading the book, you know, um, not because of the way I portrayed anybody, because I didn't lie. I just shared things and I'm a sharer. Most people are not, again. And I was like, well, these family members who are not sharers, that might bother them. Um, but I had to do me. And I had to tell our story authentically. My uncle reached out to me after reading the book. My dad's brother had said, wow, Amy, you put terms to experiences I had with your dad. I didn't even understand at that point. I didn't realize that there was something called a sibling abuse. And now I realize as a 65-year-old man, I was abused by your dad. And I knew that. I knew that. Like from stories of childhood, I would listen to these stories where my dad would put an apple on his head and take an, a real metal bow and arrow and shoot the apple like he could have killed his little brother. Like that's crazy uh that's abuse duh I'm sorry but like in the 50s that wasn't abuse so the more we share the more we learn a lot of people ask me if it had happened at a different time or if you guys had had an intervention different interventions better intervention do you think this still would have happened this is such a very layered conversation really because we're talking about abuse and systemic abuse and society and all this but we're also talking the part about a part a part about society we don't often talk about because we don't really want to think about it there are some people who are just different my brother was just different from really young age can we separate nature versus nurture kind of in this situation because I was nurtured exactly the same way my mom was kind of the same mom to both of us she had to do things a little differently I think Yes, this still would have happened 
even if we had had better intervention and better social, I don't know, intervention, I guess that's the best word. It would have just happened maybe later. My brother was a toxic, abusive person. I can't remember him ever. Like, I don't remember or know when he learned that. If I go back through my childhood, he was just manipulative and abusive from the get-go, really, especially towards me. I think there are some people you can see in kids sometimes. You can see when kids feel bad about themselves or they feel bad, do they take it out on other people? Or they mm-hmm. do they do they put it internally? I think there's, you know, right. or they do they try to dissolve it. And my brother was just always trying to displace it. And as much as my mom tried to teach him, he was kind of a lone wolf and all the right ingredients to do the wrong thing. Wow. Powerful. You can tell you're a writer, my friend. You're very good with words. But you know what's amazing, Amy? You know, I I know you from your story, but I also know you a little bit in real life. And it is amazing when I think about the young woman who was essentially went from like having people to know people and then what you've been able to do with your life and you have a book and businesses and you have beautiful children and you are considerate and caring for others it's just like okay I think we all need to take a little chapter out of this woman's book here because you you know you do the work and you're not afraid to you know, sort of walk into, okay, I'm going to have to work through this and we're going to go to therapy and we're going to, you know, do the hard things because you know, on the other side, like when the healing can happen, what, what can come from that? You know, I'm like, how do I segue into this next part? Because I don't want to like walk away from this conversation, but you are, you are a writer and you're up for some award nominations. And I just wanted to take a second to congratulate you. This is so exciting. And you're up for two, aren't you? Yes, I am. I was so shocked. Yeah. I, I, this is my, I think third or fourth year being nominated for best writing for Mom Summit, which is such a huge honor. I love putting that in my bio, updating it every year, going another year amazing one year I won't be relevant and I'll be gone and I you know I'm not going to be sad I'm just going to have been really appreciative of what I got but when I signed on because a lot of people are like oh I nominated you I looked and I was like oh my god both like I expected the book I hate to say it like that that's so bad but enough people from the community reached out to me and said your book was so beautiful I nominated it for best book I was like oh that's so amazing but there are so many great writers in this community beautiful writer like I'll read like even just an Instagram caption. I'm like, oh my God, that cut me. Like a a tiny paragraph and it's so powerful. So to get the best writing nomination too, I was like, oh my God. I I did not expect that. Not that I expected either. I just was like super hopeful for the other one. I just had that other, the the second best writing knocked me for a loop. I guess to to come back to what we were talking about today and to kind of end on a note where, you know, I want people to check out your book, which is Working for Justice. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. You can follow Amy on her Instagram, which is, remind me. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as the same handle. It's all the same. Um, so at or forward slash on Facebook, but Amy, A-M-Y, B as in boy, Chesler, which is my last name. So it's Chester without the L. Uh, T, but with an L. So C-H-E-S-L-E-R. Amazing. And follow you there. And you know, you don't just share about your book. You share a little bits about your life and what you're working on. And I love just seeing what you're up to. You know, it's, I think it's so important to you as we talk about storytelling and we talk about, you know, you're telling this difficult story, but it's like you're a real person. 
um, in this story, you know, like there's so much more to you and why it's important to keep, you know, working on this. And, and as you say, is the title of your book, Working for Justice, right? Um, I guess the one question I have, and I don't know if you can answer it, but you know, it's like, do you have any advice for people who might be at the start of a story like this, who are struggling, uh, you know, looking for something, you know, if they had someone like you had where I was a loved one in a mental health situation, is there something like a tip that you could give them, like maybe start here? My tip is always to heal authentically and to do the work, like, you know, at your own pace. Um, I was in a marriage that made me feel like I had a timestamp on my grief on, so I had to get out. You know, he gave me a timestamp on a lot of stuff. So I was like not given that space to breathe or heal or do anything. And I think I've done almost the majority of my healing since I ended my marriage. So I would give, and that's not part of my, you know, I'm not saying leave your spouse. I'm just saying um, try to know yourself and know that you've got to heal. And sometimes you can't do it immediately. You can't dive into that. It's Maybe it's too painful or raw, but try to know yourself so well and be attuned. If you're if you're losing your shit a lot, you got something to deal with. I'm just saying. Like, you know, if, if something is bubbling to the surface, there's something under there to get to. So I'm not just saying bury it until you're ready. Sometimes you can't know when you're ready until it's bursting. Do what you got to do and try to know yourself, but also in the sense that, you know, I knew I had to tell my story publicly to get it out. Some people just do it privately in therapy, and that is more than enough, right? I knew the person that my mom was, the person that I am, that's just who we were. Like we were teachers, we were, I was, a, I'm a writer, we were speakers. Like I, I, the more I shared it, the more I feedback I got, the more I knew I have to share. I also knew I had to get out of the marriage that felt uncomfortable when I was sharing, right? Like, and that maybe was triggering to him in some way, but how, whatever it was, I knew that was what I needed. That's not what everybody needs. Some people need to keep it in, not necessarily inside. Some people need to box it out. Some people need to write it out. Some people need to record a podcast that they never share with anybody out. You know, they need to do whatever they got to do. Try to do that. So just try to know yourself in the sense that when you need to heal and how you need to heal. Otherwise, you're going to be serving other people and trying to kind of contort yourself into these boxes of grief or abuse or understanding your past in a way someone else does, and that's never going to serve you, and it's never going to heal you either. I will say every year my grief has gotten more manageable. I will say that. Every year, it's just my goal. Every year I like to get a little bit more mastery of it. But that's not to say things don't just knock me for a loop sometimes. I think what pe keeps people from healing and attacking the process of healing is the feelings. Like they, do they think like, oh, I got to get through it. Or like, oh, it's not good for me to cry, or oh, I can't be angry, or oh, I have to be angry towards these people. Like, no, sometimes it's on you, you know, nobody else's, you got to pass through them, and you got to work through them and get through it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for sharing your story today. And, and like I said, all of the links for Amy are going to be below. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you. Hi, Dean. Hi, Amanda. How's it going? Hey, good. What's going on? You look great. Weird. Oh, thank you. You like my sweatpants? Yeah, I do. <laughs> 
Well, we missed you last week. We had a bit of a heavier episode, and I took our segment solo. So the listeners have That's missed okay. you. You know what gives me time to do whatever I need to do. Exactly. Yeah. So this particular episode this week was definitely more serious, a heavier topic. My friend Amy has lived quite a life and written an amazing book. And to be honest, I couldn't really think of how we could transition this smoothly. We could have a drink. we, We could. Or two. I'd say. But I thought what we would actually do is let's just stay in this topic of crime and true crime is like quite a popular genre, whether it really is. I mean, if it's podcasting or books or documentaries, it is everywhere. And I was curious, like why? I mean, myself, I'm kind of obsessed. How do you feel about the genre? I mean, I kind of think that you are the influence on my listening adventures and I see that, well, for starters, you'll be like doing laundry or something. And I'll say, like, hey, Amanda, and you'll have your earbuds and you'll be like, yeah. I don't make a lot of noise, but I definitely have wide eyes. Yeah. And, and, then, and then on the flip side, if I'm cooking or something, I'm listening to, uh, you know, anything Disney because I, I don't like scary stuff. Right. At all. Right. Um, you scare the living crap out of me. You come in and your eyes are all weird. And I was like, what are you listening to? It's so weird. I know. But yeah, there's a fascination with it. What's about that? Well, I have a few thoughts, but uh, so let's start it off here. Okay. So I Googled it because I was curious. I'm like, do other people think what about this? What did you this? Google? I Googled, why do people listen to true crime stories? Like, what is the whole obsession? Because yeah. for me, I must admit, like, if you were to go through the roster of podcasts I listen to, it's like 90% true crime. I don't really enjoy watching scary movies or... Maybe you do because I don't see watching any scary movies. I don't watch them. I'll tell you what it is I like about the podcast. And they're not wrong because the first thing that popped up was that crime stories are very compelling. They follow an amazing story arc. The cast of characters is usually pretty, you know, interesting. Right. And there's generally an ending to the story and then the bad guy gets put away, you know, and that's... Generally, what I enjoy about listening to true crime is that there is this, it's beginning, middle, and an end all in one go. So I'm not left hanging. I don't want to be left hanging. I need to carry on, you know? Right. So that was probably the most like, yes, that is me. I see that it's a storytelling. It's gripping. I definitely fall into the category of a little bit of escapism happening, like Life has been... You want to escape your perfect life and go into like a morbid life? Like what? I don't know. It's right. It's weird. It's like when I'm cleaning, which I don't really enjoy doing, if there's a compelling story in my ears and it doesn't have to be like gory or or that kind of thing. I am just so fascinated by the why, how, how did they not get caught or what took so long or how did the detectives figure this out? Like I find that so compelling. So I definitely... As I'm cleaning, it's all that. And I don't even notice the time going by. Yeah. You know what? I think it is just, I mean, it's much. It's a much deeper subject. Uh, and there's probably psychologists coming up, you know, coming out the yin-yang with all these theories about it. But I think it's just a morbid fascination with, um, a morbid fascination and escape from mund- a mundane life. 
in that, not that your life is really mundane, but maybe you have a mundane task, you're washing dishes or you're, or <laughs> I'm washing dishes or laundry or whatever the case may be. And it's kind of just like, it gives you that thrill. I think it gives you the same uh, rush as you get from a horror movie, you know? You get that fight or flight. You're like you're trying to imagine what what that scene was like, or a murder scene, or whatever. And uh, I think it kind of it's like a dopamine rush when you're checking your Instagram. I think it's the same type of thing. And probably elements of you know when you drive by a car crash, for example, people often slow down. There's a little bit of rubbernecking going on, like. Yeah people want to see that we're curious about what's happening. And it's just like, it's an interesting, you know, like, I guess I, I'm curious about myself. I'm like, why? I mean, even in university, little fun fact, I mean, you remember when I met you so long ago, I went into forensic science at the University of Toronto uh, very briefly thinking it was going to be one thing, but no, it was not like the books I was reading, Amanda. It was right. like physics and chemistry and stuff. Um, but you know, just really curious about solving these crimes. And I find for me, probably why I don't like the movies and the documentaries is I find it kind of scary to right. put a face to a name. Yeah. I don't like the um, podcasts that go into the really scary details. Honestly, there's some I've had to turn off because I'm like, whoa, because I'm like traumatized after. Yeah, like right. it's especially, my goodness, if there's children involved, like it's just, it's horrific. But I love the science behind it, like how they've been able to bring in, you know, your DNA and your gene genealogy and diving deep into that have connected decades old crimes to family members that are still alive today. And like just the amazing work that they're able to do and bring resolution, um, to, to real people's lives. I find really fascinating. Right. But on the flip side, there is this element of, you know, you can re-traumatize the people who have experienced this real crime. So there's always that element of like not wanting to romanticize or or over glamorize this genre because it's like a it's real people it's a true story yeah and i often wonder you know just like you're talking about have you ever heard of maslow's motivational uh, model no so it's like a pyramid and maslow was a, a philosopher i believe or a psychologist i don't know and um it starts off with it's a pyramid and at the bottom you have your physiological needs your safety needs being loved, esteem. Um, then you have your, you know, aesthetic needs, um, how you look, I guess, self-actualization, and finally, you know, transcendence. And I find when you're, like, if I look at personally, I'm kind of at the point in my life where I'm at self-actualization. I'm, I'm really realizing what I am and who I am and what my potential could be. And I just, I see the pattern and I go, okay, I, I can live up to this potential. I'm not gonna be a physicist. I'm not going to the moon, but I can do this. So I know who I am. And then, you know, transcendence where you're like, I guess you're, I don't know what that is, but anyway, that's the idea. So, you know, if you look at um, that pyramid at the bottom, I think that, you know, you have psychological safety, belonging and needing, 
and then esteem needs. I think when that pyramid with an individual, I'm talking about someone who's committed a heinous crime. I think when that pyramid isn't, doesn't have a good structure, like that means that, you know, um, physiological needs, a lot of kids, you know, growing up, uh, you know, some of these kids turn out to be, uh, you know, not living the home lives that they should live. They're not eating right. There's like, you know, a jar of peanut butter or some salad dressing in the fridge when they get home from school. You know, it wasn't a good uh, start. And then uh, safety, they don't always feel safe maybe or whatever the case, but they never built up that pyramid from the from the bottom and it's not strong. And I think once you get, once it you start to grow in your life and, and get those things, I think you kind of get into more of like a, oh, you know, I like that shade of lipstick or I like this type of clothes and all that type of stuff. I think when people don't follow, you know, a base of, Getting having enough to eat, being loved, and all that type of thing, I think the pyramid kind of falls over, or it's not really a pyramid at all. And I think that's where things get a little snaky. Mm-hmm. And you know, you be, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, but maybe that's where you turn out to be a psychopath. Like you do whatever you need to to survive, and you do whatever you need to satisfy, you know, to accomplish something. Maybe some of these people that con- committed these crimes. They get a power rush out of it. Well, I know I saw that Jeffrey Dahmer uh, thing on Netflix, that documentary. It was horrifying, you know, how how he fooled all these people into thinking he was, you know, so awesome and smart and kind and he had a relationship with a woman and she had a kid and all this stuff. Meanwhile, he's killing all these people and you kind of go, whoa, 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 what happened there? And I think that's why... I like to listen to the true crime because, you know, the experts are delving into that and kind of like picking it apart and going, oh, because in us, I truly believe in us, there's always good and bad, but the bad in our lives is tempered with like, you know, love and caring and affection and all that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So... I, that's why I think. I think they just didn't get they didn't get hugged as a kid. Yeah. Well, interesting that you bring that up because that's you know Amy and I sort of talk about that, right? Because yeah. it's the nature versus nurture thing. Like she said, she was raised in the same environment, but she didn't commit a heinous crime, right? right? And True. so she's like, her perspective, which I found, you know, it's very interesting because I was the same as you thinking those things, and then she's like, but I also just think some people are, I don't know if she used the term broken, I can't remember right now, but are just not okay. And she's like, he's never going to be okay. Right. Right. And he should be locked away, which is why she's working towards making sure that he stays in there, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. And I, and you know, when I hear that element of what you were saying about the pyramid and all of these things being met, so you can look at it from the perspective of the the abuser, the the bad person, the person committing that crime. And then you also think about it like from our perspective, like we have a need to want to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so there could be this element of, you know, listening to true crime to feel like you sort of have an in about like how the mind of a criminal works. And so you're like two steps ahead. Right. So to almost protect yourself, because I was, I was reading that that's something else that people have said they like to listen to true crime so that they're like always ready. 
you know? Right. Well, even like, think about that show that Jack and I got into, Only Murders in the Building on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Like, such a good show, sidebar. But also, it's about people who are obsessed with a true crime podcast, and then a crime, like, falls into their lap, and they think that they're like... Yeah. Like the detectives, right? Right. In a comical kind of way. Right. Right. And, you know, there is that fascination with something that we shouldn't do, right? No, yeah. Normal people, quote unquote, should not be committing these type of crimes. Yeah. Like you were saying, what compels people to do that? What well, happened? I, 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 th- I think all of us have seen people under tremendous amounts of stress and... I can t- speak from you know the cockpit, the pilot's perspective and stuff. When things get a little weird or scary or there's too much of it, um, and people don't have the, including myself, because you know you only learn by going through that that, that stress. You need to have the tools to deal with it. You need to have the self confidence. You need to have a lot of. You, you need all kinds of things to deal with that. But some people just don't, and how many of us are on the planet? Like 8 billion? I don't know. Lots. How There's got to be a whole bunch with some pretty bad wiring. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you walk every day and you're walking down the street and you see some people and we've all learned that the scariest looking people aren't really that scary at all. They're just scary looking. But unless you talk to them and know them and all that type of stuff in their backgrounds, you don't really know what you're getting. So... And, you know, some of these true crimes that are fascinating to me is this, this, you know, uh, upstanding individuals who were part of this and that and and part of the community, and they ended up doing something for some kind of deviant thrill. Uh, That Dennis Rader, uh, uh, the BTK killer, I watched that one a long time ago, and I was just like, what are you doing, man? It's just unbelievable. And, And the thing is, is that, you know, I guess when you're watching true crime, it's really intoxicating to sit back and to listen to what experts have to say about these people. And you kind of always wonder, I don't know, like you ever wonder sometimes, like, you know, uh, you kind of go, you know, would I ever have that in me to do something like that? You know, what, what, or what circumstances would have to unfold for me as an individual to like even consider something like that? And I think that's a safe thing because if, you know, if you're looking at yourself and it frightens you and you're going like, I don't, I don't like that. And, you know, I don't think I could ever do anything like that. That's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good little check-in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I find too what's so fascinating is like crime, you know, a podcast I'm obsessed with is the Crime Junkies podcast. And oh, I just, that's a good one. I love that the work that they've done to build upon it, you know, they're, yes, they tell the riveting stories that we've all heard about the most prolific, you know, serial killers and this and that. But yeah. what's even more amazing is that they're able to bring, you know, names and to, to Jane's and, you know, John Doe's and Jane Doe's that have been unnamed for years. Right. And because their community is so large and they're helping, you know, just give people their name back. And I think so much of it is like, I just today, even like I'll watch these little shorts, YouTube videos about crimes and things. And this was the first time it happened where I saw the picture of a victim and remembered their story, but couldn't remember their 
you know, abuser, they're the person that hurt them. And I was like, that's how it should be. Because I know a lot of these people go into it because if there's narcissism there and they want to be remembered. Well, sure. I mean, like that, that was the case with so many of these, you know, it's like a, they can't get, get enough attention that, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's a really, what you said, it's a sick reality that we always remember. Oh, I just spouted off two names, but you know, I can't really remember any of the, the, the victims, victims names. at all. Right. And that's just, that's a real shame. But it's, really it is. is changing. And that, yeah. you know, and, and Amy and I talk about that a little bit, like the victimhood and what happens to those victims who are left standing after these crimes happen. Because not yeah. everything results in a murder. And if there is a murder, there's usually family members that are impacted. And, you know, what, what are we doing for the victims? And I think that's where I'm always like trying to toe the line, you know, there's that huge case that we've heard all over the news with Gabby Petito. And yeah. desperate. Like, he did it. Of course he did. <laughs> Heartbreaking that this happened to this young woman. But also we were talking and you, I know you've seen the stories online where it's like, yeah, and in that time frame, for some reason, all of North America was up in arms trying to find this young woman. And meanwhile, there's people gone missing before her, after her, that you'll hardly even hear a peep from. And why is that? You know, like yeah. it's a very layered conversation in that way. So it's like, I'm always trying to be curious. It enter it, there's an entertainment value, but then be respectful to the people whose lives have actually been impacted by these stories. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So morbid fascination, but also, you know, kind of gives you, uh, a glimpse on, you know, into the darkness, if you will. Right. Like with that Gabby uh, Petito, is that her name? Yeah. Yes. She, she um, like, you don't have to be building rockets to figure out that the guy shows up after the trip back in Florida without her. Right. And then... You know, what What was he thinking about? Like, what did he think that it would just, like, that's narcissistic beyond belief. Well, you know, allegedly, like, allegedly. you know, but it, he would know, wouldn't he contact the police and say, you know, I just left her here because she was, they were obviously fighting and all this mm-hmm. type of stuff. But find that dude and, and bring him to justice. People want to know. But, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of cases like that do you not hear about? Well, that's it. And why? And right? why? Like this, I mean, again, coming, I, you know, I keep touting up like crime junkies, but they talk about minorities, transgendered people who are missing that the media doesn't deem newsworthy, Yeah, you know, and perhaps doesn't put the same effort in there. I mean... It's just, it's a, it's a sad thing. And it's, it's, that's like a darker part of the darkness of that genre and that world. It's not a genre, but you know what I mean? That topic of true crime. Right. But it's, um, there, you know, it is very interesting. And I, I would imagine that a lot of listeners and people who consume that content would always prefer to be staying in that voyeuristic realm and never have it become a reality for them, right? So Yeah, no kidding. Right. Well... On that note, I think I'm going to go watch some true crime. Right. I know. Or well, listen to some true crime. Thanks, Dean, for sharing. And I, I have to admit, I'm kind of surprised that you've taken on watching some of it because you don't Well, don't usually... give me an accolade for that because it's just, honestly, it's just simply, I feel a little bit, now that we've talked about it, I feel like a little bit like, yeah, maybe that's, maybe it's not healthy. Well, I mean, let me ask you this before we cut off. Sure. Do you think this is a healthy thing to listen to true crime? Sometimes 
I'll say this. I have boundaries about certain things I'll listen to and certain things I just cannot. Like I, I like to, there's, there, anyway, I won't get into what it is that I listen to and what I don't listen to, but I know my limit where it no longer becomes entertaining and I actually find myself like rather traumatized yeah, by the stories. It. It's too much. It's concentrated into, in those shows, it's concentrated to give you everything, you know, yeah. you go in, oh, there's a mystery. Oh, they solved it. Oh, there's a twist. Oh, they did this. And, and sometimes whatever. it's too, but it's too like for the drama you know, and I don't like that. I like yeah. the facts. I like that we're trying to work to find, you know, either support the family that's left or get a resolution or, you know, put a name to a victim, all these things. But when it gets too like for drama, I can't, like, I find I don't sleep well at night. Well, it's the too good things about it is look at, look at, uh, unsolved mysteries. Yeah. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but his son was murdered. Right. Yeah. So the original, uh, unsolved mysteries host, was John Walsh and his uh, son Adam Walsh was murdered, and it compelled him to um, to do that show. But the other thing about it is that, like the positive side of these true crimes, just like the movie that you're watching, is that the the public, you know, can feel like they can. Hey, I saw that guy. I'm sure it leads to some crazy mania stuff. Like, you know, there are tens of thousands of calls into. Uh, the police station to kind mm-hmm. of go, I think I saw that dude. But know? it, but that's, but the, it's that's something. you're, no, you're absolutely right. Is that that's the other side of it is it does shed light. I mean, yeah, there are some like of these internet sleuths, you know, that are, but they're able to actually dig up information and create that, um, not excitement, but energy around a, ca- a potential cold case right. that they can then get like, They've got funding for things. I mean, I heard the most amazing stories that the, like the community was able to donate. The police force was then able to get certain testing done and they ultimately led to naming a Jane Doe. It's amazing. Like there is amazing yep. stuff that happens. So will I stop listening? No, I find it highly entertaining. I'm going to stop though. Are you? No. No. Okay. Well, thanks for chatting with me, Dean. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye. Bye. Welcome to my favorites, the part of the podcast where I share, you know, three things that I've really enjoyed over the past week and that I think you might enjoy as well. So like I was saying at the top of the episode, um, you might not have really thought about what my office smells like (laughs) because that would be weird, but lately it has smelled so good. I got to share it with you. So I know that you know that I have a, a, you know, a small business, a small business baby where my husband makes beautiful handmade candles, Frendo Apothecary, and we recently launched Three Cents for Fall. So we have Drunk Pumpkin, we have Witch's Brew, and Smoked Vanilla. And let me tell you, they're all delicious, and I haven't even been able to keep any of them to burn because they're selling like hotcakes. So, I mean, if you have one, you know. But at the moment, I have a small candle because it was just run off from some extra of the smoked vanilla, you guys. I just have to smell it again. It smells so good. Like I'm not usually one to draw to overly sweet scents. It's just, I don't know. It's not for me really, but this has this smoky element to the vanilla and oh my word. Now it is a limited edition. So 
Once they're gone, they're gone. But I would highly encourage you to check the link, shop, you know, hellofriendo.com and check out some of these limited edition ones because we do have the main line. And then of course we have the limited ones. And I know that we're playing with the idea of ones that do really well in our limited edition. We might move them into the main collection. So this one might have to stay. Oh my God, it smells so good. Okay, that is the candle. Moving on. This may not be a popular opinion. In fact, I was just on my Instagram today asking you guys where you stand with this opinion. So here's the thing. We're back at school. And what does that look like for us? Well, it looks awesome because the kids are actually doing things and learning things without my assistance, which is wonderful. Um, But also some of the school activities, which I've forgotten how much I actually missed, like school photos. I love those school photos, those hella pricey school photos. I just, I can't get enough of them. And obviously we didn't get them last year, which is such a strange thing to think that, you know, in the history of their life, there's this year where they won't have a school photo. I know that that's very minuscule and likely something very minor, but you know, I have all the grades, all of my grade photos I have. My mom purchased all of them. So I mean, it's just a fun thing when you go down memory lane and you get to see these cool photos. And so I asked you guys on Instagram, at Amanda Muse, if you also, like me, bought this, the school photos. And 80% of you said you do. So I know I'm not alone, but also there are some real crafty people out there who buy the digital version and then go and print them on their own time, which is so good. I wish I was that organized, but you know I'm going to buy the digital version and then forget. So I buy like the smallest package. I make sure that grandpa and grandma and baba and papa, you know, all the important people get a photo, that we have some photos for ourselves, but I love them. And I just, I'd forgotten about that. You know, it's those little things. Have you guys hit those little markers yet? If your children are back to in-school learning, you know, I, maybe it's because you know, another lockdown could happen at any point. But there is something so special about these moments, like all the little things, the food drives, the Terry Fox runs, the orange shirt days, like all of these wonderful things that the kids get to participate in and learn about. And I am just, I love school and I love teachers. Okay. Okay. Next thing is a fall staple and I have been pining over wanting to buy myself a new pair. They are my Blundstones. Do you know what Blundstones are? Also known as Blunnies. They are an Australian boot. Like think, you know, you've seen me wearing them on Instagram. They're a short black boot. Mine are hella scuffed up because I wear them to do everything. But that's probably the most beautiful part about a pair of Blundstones is that They're a little stiff when you first get them, but then they mold to your foot and it is like the most perfect damn shoe out there and so durable. But because they are such high quality, there is a little bit of a price tag with them. So I had dreams of wanting to buy myself a brown pair this fall, like the kind of, they're not suede, but they look like a soft leather where they get a little more scuffed up than usual. And then I realized that I have a black pair that are really scuffed up. So like I basically already have the pair I want. what I mean? So Dean usually goes and polishes them for me and I'll probably end up doing that soon. But I just love those boots. Um, They're not insulated, the ones that I have. And I've had these for what, like five years or something. Um, 
but I just get a new insole in the winter, like a thicker insole that kind of is one of those heating ones. Like they just, I don't know, they keep your feet warm. So I get a pair of those and I wear them on days where it's not snowing pretty much from fall all the way into spring. They are an incredible boot and they look cute too. Pair of jeans. I mean, they look great. So anyway, I had to talk about them. I love me some Blundstones. And I know that like you can get all sorts of knockoffs, but there's something about getting older and like getting yourself a quality shoe. You know, I've had these shoes now, these boots for maybe six years, six years. I think I bought them my first season back. So I mean, they're going to last you. You know what I mean? All right. So those are my three favorite things for the week. And it is worth mentioning that we are taking a little pause. So Frendo is taking an itsy beatsy tiny break for the next two weeks as we will be undergoing a little bit of a facelift. Frendo is going to be coming back strong and hella cute in about two weeks time. So you'll likely see a trailer coming out soon just to give you a little bit of hype and excitement about this next season. I've already been banging out some interviews and uh, working with a wonderful team actually at Curious Cast helping me put everything together. And so the podcast has gone from this little engine that could to a podcast that is now supported with a team and it's incredible and I'm really excited about you know the direction that we're going which to be honest is nothing new for those longtime listeners but it's just a little bit more polished I'm just really excited about you know the podcast just getting to that next level you know I think as you work on projects as you work on these creative endeavors you got to start somewhere and it's so wonderful to see where we've been able to go and I'm excited about where we're going so expect a little facelift. So next week, if you miss me, don't worry. There's lots of episodes. Go back in the archives. I will not be removing any of the existing episodes. So you can go back and listen to some amazing ones. I know that Dean and I had some really fun ones at the start talking about our travel days and just some of our adventures. So I mean, head back, man. Season one. They're a little longer too, the episodes. So tune in in the next two weeks for a brand new episode. Episode one of the next season is featuring a wonderful and amazingly talented woman, Julie Nolke, who is nearing a million subscribers on YouTube. She's incredible, a Canadian creator doing some amazing things, and we get to have a wonderful chat and share it with all of you. So thank you for being here. When you leave today, maybe you could tell a friend about Friendo, have them subscribe, follow along wherever you find podcasts. And uh, I'll catch you with a brand new episode and a brand new season in two weeks time. Till then, friends. Bye. Friendo Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Amanda Muse. Music on this episode is written by Chris Bevins and Mike Payne, performed and produced by MP Real Glow. If you'd like to help support the growth of Friendo Podcast, you can do so by leaving a positive review, sharing the podcast with your friends and community, and supporting the shop at hellofrendo.com. Find us on Instagram at shophellofrendo. And thank you for listening. And remember, be your own bird. <laughs>